0: Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. On this podcast, we share stories and conversations around spiritual care, companionship, and contemplative practice across a diverse range of traditions and experiences. Spiritual companions support others on their spiritual journeys through life. Spiritual companions are welcoming and present with those they companion, listening and responding without judgment. And spiritual companions are contemplative and honor silence as a spiritual practice. You can learn more about our work at our website, sdiworld.org. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in finding a spiritual companion, please check out our resource on our website, the Seek and Find Guide a database of over 7,000 spiritual directors, chaplains, and life coaches from around the world who are available to companion with you on your own spiritual journey. The seek and find guide is available on our website, sdiworld.org. Eric Massaneri is an ordained pastor in the Mennonite Church USA, living in Newton, Kansas, where he serves as a spiritual director and the chaplain of a continuing care community for older adults. He serves on the SDI Coordinating Council, where he brings a passion for interfaith learning, community building, and companioning people who are exploring the fertile ground of elderhood and those who are nearing the end of life. He's an avid poet, an essayist, and a visual artist, and a personal good friend of mine. Eric joined me for a conversation about his work as a spiritual companion, which we've turned into two episodes. The first one here touches on the topic of curiosity, which here I would define as a posture of listening that is genuinely inquisitive and engaged with the person they are listening to. And not just curious about what that person is saying or thinking or feeling, though it is all those things, but also curious about the ways the listener finds themselves responding to what they are receiving. If you've ever been in a conversation with someone where you felt uncomfortable, most of us have, I would venture. Eric feels curious about that and he explores what it is that makes him feel uncomfortable and is open to the possibilities that there's something in him that needs to shift or change in order to be more welcoming and hospitable to the person he's listening to. Uh, Eric, thanks for your time today.
1: Yeah, it's good to be with you, man.
0: Yeah, I've uh, really enjoyed getting to know you through your presence on the Coordinating Council. Uh, but maybe sh- you can share a little bit about your own practice, your own spiritual companioning practice and what that
1: looks like in your, in your day-to-day. Um. Yeah, I, I think it takes certainly some formal forms. Um, one of those would be my role as a chaplain. Uh, I work here at a long-term, adult long-term care community. It's actually a larger retirement community um, of about 300 residents here, at Kidron Bethel Village in North Newton, Kansas. And most of my work here would primarily be with people in nursing care, And assisted living Um, and that would be more about population of about 90 people on our campus uh, who are in need of more acute care especially those in nursing care Um, so it's a lot of um, daily pastoral care I I do a wide variety of things some of the things you traditionally associate with chaplaincy work like oh weekly worship services and um, some Bible studies, but I also, I'm given a lot of creative freedom. So I get to do stuff like uh, poetry writing groups and uh, book studies. Uh, I lead contemplative prayer groups here on our campus, Um, meditation circles, short retreats, things like that. Um, So I do that. That's a full-time job, but then I also have a spiritual direction practice. I have to limit that, of course, because of my other commitments. But I meet with seven or seven to eight people on a regular basis um, in spiritual direction, and most of those—not all, but most—are in in some way in uh, ministerial work. Uh, some are ordained pastors. Other working, other people working with uh, faith-based uh, agencies, nonprofits in the area, things like that. Um, And then I would say beyond that, my companioning work really takes a lot of forms. I I often think of that in pretty um, broad terms. I mean, it has its formal expressions that I mentioned, but um, it takes place in some spiritual friendships that I have and some other important relationships. Also serving SDI, you mentioned serving on the council. Right now, that's an important expression of my work. Um, as is serving on the steering committee for Mennonite spiritual directors network.
0: Can you share a little bit about some of the primary differences between being a chaplain and being a spiritual director? That sounds like two different hats. Actually you, you specified multiple hats, but maybe those two in particular.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, uh, in some ways, I think of, they are very distinct roles that I have to approach somewhat differently. You know, in chaplaincy work, a lot of my time with people um, is going to be in more brief encounters. Um, you know, sometimes it's very spontaneous, in-the-moment encounters as I make my way through the hallways of the nursing care uh, residences um, and take advantage of a of a moment to stop in someone's room and just enter in a conversation and who knows where that conversation may go. That's something very different of course than like a scheduled spiritual direction appointment with one of my directees. Um, however, you know, I, I often find like the actual encounter and the moment shared, um, the quality of those shared moments are very, very similar. Um, And even the content of the conversations can be very similar between a conversation I'm having in my chaplain role with a resident here or a conversation I'm having with somebody I meet with in spiritual direction, Um, which I guess on one hand shouldn't be that surprising. Um, I mean, I think when we're meeting each other on a soulful level um, and kind of practicing a, (laughs) a, a heart open-hearted presence with somebody, I think that can lead, you know, to, to really meaningful encounters with people, whatever hat we may be wearing in the moment. Mm -hmm. So there's many days where I find, you know, I may have had a spiritual direction appointment over my lunch hour with somebody. And then I come back and I'm talking with a resident here at the village. And on the face of it, those conversations really aren't terribly different. Both may be very centered on pe- the depth of somebody's spiritual journey. So, yeah, different hats and yet same person wearing the two hats. <laughs> yeah, for
0: sure. And I imagine that your, I imagine that the way in which you enter into any conversation with somebody about their spiritual journey looks similar, whether you are doing the chaplain thing or the direction thing. Can you talk a little bit about just how you enter into that listening practice? Someone who's done that for a long time, it probably feels like second nature. But um, what are some of the ways in which you sort of prepare yourself, even if it's just an, an instantaneous sort of shift, right? From yeah. uh, you know, from being present to you know whatever it is you're working on to being fully present to somebody else.
1: Yeah. Mm. I think that has changed so much over, <laughs> over the years I, from when I, I first, I guess, in various in various ways I've been doing this kind of work for oh, about 25 years since I first started doing pastoral work. I worked in a congregation for quite a while and before I ever became formally a spiritual director or, uh, or now a chaplain. Um, and I think... I think early on, and, and even when I did do spiritual direction, started doing that about ten years ago. I think I I took a more uh, <laughs> structured approach to that. Like I felt I felt much more intentional about setting a space and, and thinking ahead. You know, what am I going to read for an opening reading to really open up the time and the space? Um, I gave a lot more concern to. Um, I guess in some ways I might say that the, the externals and setting this space and it's not that those are unimportant and I still do. I mean, I make sure the space where we're meeting is inviting and hospitable and welcoming. I, I, I am intentional about how we begin, but I feel like now it's become much more of an internal posture and preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I I do try before I sit down with somebody, or either as chaplain or spiritual director, if I can, to have just, if only a few seconds of spaciousness um, to breathe, to to really be grounded in the moment as best I can um, for that encounter to come, so I can, from the get-go, be as open to this person as I possibly can. I think, most recently the way one way i frame it i like curiosity is (laughs) i think of curiosity as my primary practice Mm. um i try to stay really curious and when i am encountering somebody because i've noticed over time all the subtle ways that the mind you know my my inner being i can react respond um sometimes get internally defensive all those little reactions that we have to an encounter with somebody or a moment and i think over time as i practice this more and more i I become more aware of of some of those and i think for a while i kind of would feel those patterns uh, feel those things unfolding in me and get uh reactive to my own self like self-judgmental i shouldn't feel that way i shouldn't be thinking that um, I'm distracted right now. I should be more focused. Now I, I just try to maintain curiosity even internally to myself in the encounter with somebody. Um, like, oh, that's interesting. I just had this emotional gut reaction to what they just said. I wonder what that's about. I'll have to come back to that. Right now, I'm gonna stay with what they're saying. I wonder what they meant by that. Um I'm just finding curiosity to be one of the most powerful, for me, one of the most powerful postures, I guess, for lack of a better word, I can take in an encounter with someone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But I want to hear more about it. <laughs> I what I, I do too. I mean, I want to, um, I didn't necessarily expect to go here, but it has become really a focus for me lately because I find in if I can maintain curiosity, there's, a, there's an inherent humility to curiosity. Because um, I think when we're curious, we can more readily say, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know, but let's keep listening. Let's keep looking, let's keep asking.
0: Support for this week's podcast comes from SDI's upcoming contemplative writing retreat which we are calling Writing at the Edge of the World, happening June 15th through June 19th, 2020 on beautiful Orcas Island in Washington State, USA. Led by award-winning writer Tanya Cassell and NEA fellow and Zen teacher Sean Murphy, this retreat is designed to meet you wherever you are on your creative journey. You'll leave the retreat with a notebook full of writing and a fresh set of tools to invigorate your creative voice. Learn more on our homepage, sdiworld.org, and you'll find the writer's workshop in the homepage slider. And now here's part two of our conversation.
1: Curiosity, I think, maintains a sense of awe and wonder. Um, It's prepared to learn more. And um, I find if I can stay curious, I'm less, just less defended, less reactive Mm -hmm. in the moment to somebody. Um, And I can stay open even when I'm hearing stuff. If I'm staying curious, I I can hear things that I adamantly might disagree with or be troubled by. And still, those emotions might come, but I can more readily just look at this person and, and still wonder, okay, what does that mean to them? Where is that coming from for them? Um, curiosity is just a very creative space, I find. Mm-hmm. And I find very elemental to spiritual direction, spiritual companioning work.
0: And feeling curious about yourself and what you described as sort of being in the moment and potentially feeling uncomfortable or... Having an emotion, an emotional response to something you might hear, yeah. and you know, yeah. and you say, "Oh, huh, I wonder what that is in me. That's interesting. I'll have to unpack that later." Mm-hmm. Uh, you're sort of able to realize in the moment that you are not that emotion, right? So that the emotion right. is not overwhelming you. You can kind of, you know, sort of set it aside. And and be curious about that, right? And and I wonder if there's like a practice that you do uh, later, like if, in regards to say that uncomfortable feeling or emotional response, and you go, huh, I wonder what that is. I'll have to check in on that later. What might that check in look like? And you don't you know you don't have to talk about yourself personally, but you know maybe for someone like me who's a companion in training, right? Who's yeah who's still trying to sort all that out, like. What might somebody, how might somebody be curious about, you know, their, their own responses to things or to conversations?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, one thing that comes to mind, Matt, is that, I mean, that's one place where I think supervision is so critical in one form or another. If we're doing spiritual companioning work with people, you know, whether that's in the form of one with one or a peer group or whatever form it might take, that is one place where I do that coming back to something, um, especially more troubling feelings. I think I I have in my life, gratefully, some very close, uh, one in particular, somebody I meet with at least once a week, a spiritual friend. And and that's a place where I know I can just come to those things. I can bring them back and say, you know, here, this happened. I, I noticed these feelings arising as I was talking to somebody. And I'm just really curious about it. I'm wondering what that what I might have to learn from looking at that more closely and he's somebody who I can just we can do it with each other just inherently trust each other to do that work be vulnerable in that um, I guess those would be some uh, tangible ways I come back I tend to be I just by nature I, I mull things over um, so Pretty naturally, I'll, I'll come back to things. My problem is I can get lost in little internal <laughs> loops and mull things over too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people who've taught me, honestly, most recently, the most about staying curious would be the people I work with who have dementia, difficulty thinking. Because um, they ask of an encounter just, they ask you to stay to stay open to stay flexible to stay patient um and if i'm not staying curious with them then i i bring too easily bring too many expectations to that engagement that encounter um and i'm not prepared to see what may actually be there uh for this person if i'm only looking at the uh, surface of things. You know, I'm just seeing someone who's really compromised cognitively. But if I'm willing to really sit and stay and let it be a spacious engagement, I'm amazed sometimes about what emerges if I just stay open, curious. Part of that means not rushing in with words, any presumptions about where this person's at and just really, really paying attention, you know, with all senses. Yeah, and some surprising things emerge.
0: Yes, uh, I would like to hear more about that as, as somebody who is, is practiced professionally and vocationally in, in that work of companioning people with dementia, I you know, having been around people with dementia, it's, it's exhausting and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what, I, what I've realized is that that's more about me than about the person, right that I'm listening to. I wonder I wonder how you approach somebody with dementia in terms of your your listening practice and your curiosity beyond just like being fully present and, and being engaged with all your senses. Um, what I don't know what a, what is a method that you have developed for for listening to people with dementia that is grounded and is really about the companioning without being about? the self i don't know if that makes sense is my my question why would i rephrase that i guess i need to be more curious about the the exhaustion right or the the discomfort right that it's uh that it's a way i am listening in a particular way that is exhausting me and i wonder what some correctives might be
1: yeah well I mean, first of all, I think you make a really good observation. I think that kind of feeling of exhaustion can be one kind of teachable, I mean, exhaustion, impatience. When we feel those things coming up, we're engaging someone. Like you said, they're usually telling us more about ourselves than this person. Like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling really impatient with this person or I'm I'm so, so tired. And sometimes that's just about when I go visit someone in nursing care, it's, they have their thermostat to 80 degrees and I just had lunch. And so I'm just, oh, no. <laughs> but no, I know exactly what you mean. I, I've had those similar feelings. And that's where I think to remember that it's teaching you something, um, to honor that. And then to honor the person you're with by, by just hanging in with it a little longer and seeing what comes. Like I find if I'm with someone with dementia and I come in and I'm just feel like, okay, we're not really connecting here. And I'm not, not sure what it's going to, what might help. Maybe I just need to kind of move along and maybe they just don't want me to be here with them right now. If I just pause a little longer, sometimes it doesn't make any difference, but sometimes, just letting there be a little more space where nothing needs to be said and just looking at them. I think looking at someone with just a caring look and truly caring about them has an energy to it that that can impact people, any of us, but I've noticed especially can impact people with dementia. Um, Just to sit with someone in a caring way quietly can really shift shift a moment for someone with difficulty thinking. I kind of got off on a, on a tangent there. I'm, I don't think I'm really getting to your question. It's a good one. I'm not sure I have a really good answer for it, Matt. I mean, I think I think it's a learning process and I'm still learning. And, mm-hmm. and my, my teachers are, are people with dementia, people who are in late stages of Parkinson's disease and cancer, people who've been affected by strokes and who are nearing the end of life. And they need loving presence as much as you and I do. And I find every day here, I'm trying to, I'm learning more and more about what is, what does that mean to offer that and to receive it from them. I mean, it's, it's both are happening in those moments.
0: Yeah. Part two of this conversation will come out in our next episode, where we focus on the topic of death and companioning people at the end of life. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app, You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you. Blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others.